give the Lord the praise he so richly and rightfully deserved. What a blessed opportunity it is for us to be in the house of the Lord one more time. And of course, we are certainly delighted and elated for all of those who are joining us on our various platforms. And so if you are watching us on Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, or engaging in our live chat room found on our church website, welcome to St. Paul Online. Our digital ministers and social media influencers are ready to engage you this morning. So we want you to do us this favor real quick. If you're watching us on Facebook, share on your personal timeline and tag those you want to invite to your post. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We want to get up to at least 2,000 uh, persons that are subscribers before the summer is uh, here. And if you're in the chat room on our church website, click the invite button in the chat window and share this experience with others. And also, we would love for you to, uh, if you could, put in your um, chat where you're watching us from, the city and the state, we wanted to uh, acknowledge it. And I see our Zoom congregation, so I want to wave at you, as well as those that are joining us on our various platforms. Do me a favor, put your hands together, give the Lord the praise he so richly and rightfully deserves. As um, Minister Jeffrey Stevenson is going to come, he's going to lead us in worship this morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Standing on your feet all over this place. Let's give God some praise in this place today. I didn't say give your friends. I didn't say these new Washington commanders. I said give God some praise in this place. Huh? The Psalms declares if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. What David does is he makes a declarative statement that I don't care what's going on in my life. Is there any worshipers in the building today that says I may be dealing with some things, but God is still God. No matter what I got going on, God is not moved, but God is still a God of my life. I said, is there any worshipers in the building? Is there any worshipers in our virtual chat room? Lift your holy hands in this place and in the spaces today. Join us in our opening
lift every voice. I know my four-year-old son, we're teaching him that now, so I know he was so excited when we sung that song, As Should We Be, when we are able to listen and lift our voices. Our scripture comes this morning from Psalms 107, verses 1 through 7. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Somebody say, come on, thank you, Jesus. And gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. Somebody say, but God. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Let us go to God in prayer. Dear heavenly and mighty God, we come before you right now on this first Sunday in February of 2022. First of all, God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for allowing us to see another day. God, for if it was not for you on our side, we don't know where we would be. So for that, we just say thank you. God, right now in this space, God, if you would just step down in your own immutable way and just step through time and through space to be with your people in worship this morning. We can't do anything until you, you come, God. So if you would just show yourself mighty in this place today. For we've come to worship you. To worship the God of our life. Be with us today, God. Mold and shape, renew some spirits today. Allow the word that is brought forth to penetrate, to deconstruct some minds and to also reconstruct. We just say thank you. It is in your son's name that we do pray and give all thanks. Amen. 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 You may be seated.
those hands clapping together for the God that we praise this morning. I feel like sacrifice is a, is a good theme for us today, this uh, first Sunday in, in February. Uh, let me say good morning to all of you and uh, welcome, uh, man, just to our time here this first, uh, first Sunday in February, this first Sunday of Black History Month, amen, uh, as we celebrate, celebrate that wonderful, wonderful history. Uh, man, uh, man, thank you all for uh, just being so wonderful to come here today and to be a part of service with us. Um, and this is a part of our service that we call our Impact Moment, uh, where I get a chance to speak to our children and youth. Um, and man, also to, uh, to proclaim to you guys how excited I am uh, to be starting back Impact Worship on the second week of March. Second week of March, uh, we will be starting back. Yes, amen, amen. We praise God for that, Cheris. I see you clapping. I love the excitement, girl. I love it, I love it. Yes, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to see the kids in person. Hopefully be back and we'll get rocking again, amen. So it's gonna be good. Um, but uh, since I bring that up, I also wanna mention to you guys, man, if, if you feel it in your heart and you love kids just as much as I do, man, come out and volunteer, okay? Come out and volunteer. You can call the church. You, my extension is 115. My number is 540-656-6041. That is 540-656-6041. You can call me personally, please, God. Volunteer, okay, volunteer. We need you, we need you to make these things happen because trust me, if I were trying to do it all by myself, there would be no kids ever here, okay? All right. Now, guys, we are gonna take a little, uh, little sidebar or I guess a little, a little message that will uh, take us on a little detour to talk about who it is that we can look to, who it is that we can find and have our trust in to know that Jesus has us. He's done this the right way. He has got it all covered. So man, the title for today's message is this, don't worry, Jesus has it covered. Don't worry, Jesus has it covered. And I won't be reading the memory verse just yet. Uh, My media team, I'll be reading that at the break point before I go to my truth, but I will tell you the bottom line. The main point for us for today's message is this, guys. The blood of Christ makes all things right. The blood of Christ makes all things right. You see, I am a huge fan of the Atlanta Braves, the baseball team, your 2021 World Series champions. Amen and amen. I'm a huge fan of them. And one of my favorite baseball players of all time that played for the Atlanta Braves, you may know him by the name of Henry Louis Aaron, also known as Hammer and Hank. Man, Hank Aaron, yesterday would have been his 88th birthday, if he was still alive, the late, great Hank Aaron. It would have been his 88th birthday. He played 23 seasons in Major League Baseball, and in that span, he hit over 755 home runs, which, if you ask me, deserves the title as the home run king. I'll let you pick that up on the way home when you research that on Google. Now, you see, guys, when Hank did an interview with a popular Christian magazine, he spoke of Jackie Robinson, who we know as the first black baseball player to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. In this interview with a Christian magazine, Hank spoke about Jackie Robinson and the awesome example of sacrifice that Jackie set and as being one of the greatest examples of sacrifice that he had seen in his life. Now, why? Because Jackie Robinson was the black pioneer in baseball. He was the one to first go out into that area to settle it, to make it his own, and to be the first black baseball player in major leagues. 
Now you see, if you've ever seen the movie 42, one of my favorite movies about Jackie Robinson, you you would know a little bit about what Jackie went through. It does a great job just really highlighting at least some, at least in part of what Jackie went through as he was trying to do this awesome achievement. Now you see when he was doing, when he was setting out to be the very first black baseball player, Major League Baseball, he suffered insults. He was heckled a lot. He was called awful, awful names, racial slurs, things that should not ever be uttered to another human being and all because of the color of his skin. Now you see Hank remembered this patience. He remembered the self-control that Jackie would often demonstrate when he was hit with these horrible comments. You see Jackie Robinson never fought back He never pushed back, he took it and he went out on the field and he played an amazing game. And you see, Hank remembered that when he experienced some of the same things that he felt. He remembered how Jackie used to pray to God when he was going through the things that he went through as he was setting out to be the very first in the major leagues. And man, he would want to give up, he would want to give up at times, Hank Aaron would, until he remembered the example of sacrifice that Jackie Robinson set. You see, it's because of Jackie's great example and sacrifice, he paved the way for others like Hank Aaron and the black baseball players that we see today in major leagues to be able to play the wonderful, wonderful game of baseball. When I think of this kind of self-sacrifice, guys, so that others can prosper, it reminds me of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how, man, with his life, He was able to pave the way so that we, too, could have life and experience the love of God. You see, Jesus stepped in at the right time in order to make all things right for you and I to have a relationship with God Almighty. And it's for him as the pioneer of our faith that we say thank you. The blood of Christ makes all things right. Again, our point for today. Now, our memory verse today is from Hebrews 2, verse 17, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. It says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You see, guys, Jesus, this verse tells us that Jesus was made fully human like you and me. He was made fully human so that he could be the perfect sacrifice because the way that he lived his life, he committed no sin. There was no fault found in him. And with the life that he lived, he paved the way for you and I to have life, for you and I to follow God. So in this verse, he's given the label of being a merciful and a faithful high priest. It's one of the offices, it's one of the labels, the titles that we give Jesus. Now, what do we mean when we say that Jesus is a high priest? Well, guys, one of the responsibilities of the high priest was to go to God on behalf of the people. The priest would plead for the people. He would ask God for forgiveness and offer sacrifices for the sins of the community so that they could be made right for God. Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, now he stands as our high priest on our behalf before God. So any sins that we commit, both past, present, and in the future, man, when we go to God in prayer, Jesus, he stands on our behalf. And he says, don't worry, I've got it covered. Don't worry, I stand, let my sacrifice be enough. You see, guys, Jesus paid the price and his blood, it covers our sin. It was in God's will for Jesus to suffer and die so that we could be free from the effects of sin and of death. Yes, we still sin. 
yes, we still have to experience leaving this earth because this life does not last forever. But guys, because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, our sins are covered and even death cannot separate us from God. Man, yes, absolutely. That deserves praise. So guys, man, I wanna close with this. Man, it's because of Jesus that your sins and mistakes cannot prevent God from being able to use you along this mission of life. As you set out to make this impact, as you set out to live the life that God has called you to live, know that your sins cannot keep you from God. Man, Jesus stands on your behalf. And man, when we feel, when we feel trouble, when we feel like this, we feel like giving up, just like Hank did, let's look to the example of someone that paved the way for us, and that was Jesus Christ. So let's look to his example. Let's live by his name. Let's live by his love because the blood of Christ makes all things right. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. Thank you, Reverend C for uh, that moment of impact. And just to let you all know, as we move forward uh, in March, we're looking at trying to open back up our youth and children's church on the second Sunday. Pray for us as we try to navigate uh, being in this pandemic. uh, And as he and his volunteers look at trying to um, get things back open as far as our youth church is concerned. Good morning. Good morning. We greet you with Jesus' joy, and we're delighted for those of you all who have made your way to the sanctuary, as well as those that are joining us on our digital platform, and we thank God for you. Before I come with uh, observations, we have uh, a history maker uh, in the house, um, uh, U.S. Senate candidate, uh, Ms. Cheryl Beasley is uh, present with her, and I'm getting ready to ask her to come to the pulpit to uh, share about her candidacy for the Democratic ticket as far as the U.S. Senate is concerned. She was the first black female chief justice of the Supreme Court for North Carolina. And um, we are delighted that she's taken time out of her schedule to come and to share. So at this time, I'm going to ask if she would make her way. And we have a special mic for you um, um, right here. Mic six, I believe. Praise the Lord, everybody. I thank my friend, Dr. Scott, First Lady, to all the clergy, leaders of St. Paul, members and friends of this really wonderful church, to your pastor emeritus, Dr. Moss. It is truly a blessing to be here this morning. I am Sherry Beasley. My husband, Curtis, and I are the proud parents of twin sons who are 21 years old. I'm a former public defender, former judge, former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina, and now candidate for the United States Senate. I've been a judge for 22 years. I've been in court seeking the truth at times when it's hardest to find. 
I've been in people's lives at times which have been life-changing for them and frankly often life-changing for me. And I've also seen how the laws in Washington also fail the people of North Carolina and I know it's time for that to change. I am also a woman of faith. My, fa my family and I are members of First Baptist Church in Raleigh where the Reverend Dr. Dumas A. Harshaw is our pastor. I'm running for the United States Senate because it is time for that to change. I'll just lift up a few issues. Voting rights. We saw what happened in the Senate a few weeks ago. It was quite a debacle. Remember initially they didn't want to even have debate on voting rights. And please know in 49 states across this nation, more than 550 pieces of legislation to include here in North Carolina have been passed to suppress your right to vote and for election subversion. It was 57 years ago, as we talk about Black History Month, Reverend C, that the Voting Rights Act was passed and allowed my late mother, Dr. Lou Beasley, the right to vote. And here we are 57 years later still fighting for the right to vote. I know my sons have an obligation to fight to make North Carolina better, but we have to get voting rights right right now. And Dr. Scott, as I heard young Reverend C talk about black history in this country, what I thought about was there was segregation. Yes, in sports, but in every single facet of our lives. And what I also know, Dr. Scott, is we must remember our history because if we don't, we're bound to repeat it. Voting rights is big. Please trust and believe that if voting rights so, wasn't so big, and I gotta be partisan for just a minute, Republicans would not be working so hard to suppress your right to vote. When you exercise your right to vote, please know you win. You win for the issues that are good for your community. And that matters. And it matters not just for you, it matters for the next generation of children who are coming along. I see these young people that you're going to be preaching these impact sermons to. It is deeply important. Couple more things. Education. We've been in a pandemic for two and a half years now. One third, one third of third graders were retained last year. It's a lot of our babies. We're, one, we're the ninth largest state in this nation and more than half, one half, one, one million households in North Carolina do not have access to broadband. So when you think about the opportunities that so many of us have had to telework, to have telehealth, so many children have not had the opportunity to learn virtually. We cannot leave them behind and we must have a senator who understands it's important to pass legislation that is grounded in humanity, that really does impact people's lives in a positive way. There are a whole host of other issues, clean air and clean water. Right here in Charlotte, some of the worst air quality in parts of the city in the state. We have the third highest level of PFAS in our water supply in this country. And when people don't have clean air and clean water, we got to be concerned about access to health care and so much more. There are a whole host of issues, but I will tell you, as I travel across this state, 
Please know as I lift up issues around access to healthcare, education, voting rights, climate change, and so much more that people care deeply about. There are so many people who don't care about any of that. They just want to know where the next meal is coming from. They're working two and three jobs to pay their rent, and they're just trying to make it every single day. This fight is for us, it's for the next generation, and it's for them. And I promise you, with the hand of God, that I will make sure that I'm lifting up important issues on the Senate floor every single day. I will be a fighter and a courageous leader and always stand for what's right for the people here in North Carolina. Please know that this race is winnable. I'm the presumptive nominee for the Democratic ticket. I moved all the other viable candidates out of the race, praise God. And it is the third most winnable race in the Senate in the country. We can do this, but we must do it together. I am asking for your prayers and your support. We know that faith equals hard work and prayer. That's exactly what it means. And we are faithful people. We are faithful stewards of God's word. I'm asking for your support. Please go to SherryBeasley.com. Oh, y'all got the spelling up there. It is C-H-E-R-I-B-A-S-L-E-Y. It is so important that we do this, yes, for today, but for the next generation. I thank you so much for this time, Dr. Scott. Thank you all so much, and God bless you. And may God continue to keep you during this Black History Month so that we push the next generation forward to do better and be stronger and do great things for Christ. Thank you so much. Now, before you go, Judge Beasley, tell them when the election is. Uh, well, as far as right now, the vote. primary election is March 17th, but there's some legislation that may move it to June. So please stay tuned. The general election will be on November the 8th, and we must turn out for every election. Mm-hmm. We were told last election cycle that that was the most important election of our lives. Every election mm-hmm. is the most important election of our lives. Thank you. Come on, let's give God praise for it. Thank you so much. I'll take that for taking time out. I know that you may have to run because you have another place to go, but thank you for stopping by the St. Paul Church. And um, of course, to many of our young ladies, this is a shero as well as men for what you can do when you put in the hard work. So let's give God praise for Sherry Beasley one more time, and we wish you the best of luck. Amen. Amen. All right. There are just several things I want to share with you as we move forward uh, in today's worship experience. I want to thank our marriage ministry for doing a wonderful job on Love Note Celebration on last night. We had a wonderful time. I had to uh, get a ram in the thicket because uh, Bishop uh, Rudolph McKissick Sr. and his wife, Lady Estelle, both of them came down with COVID. And they just could not do it last night as far as sharing with us. And so my good friend, the Reverend Dr. Jesse William and his wife, Jelaine, did a wonderful job and they poured into us greatly. So thank you all so very much uh, to Team Lee and Team Davis for their awesome leadership as far as our marriage ministry is concerned. I want to let you all know that we're doing COVID vaccinations here at the church every Wednesday from 10 to 5 for the month of February and March. Uh, It's going to be in the gym. No appointments are necessary. All three vaccinations will be given. All three vaccinations as well as boosters. Now, amen, go ahead and clap. Now, while you're clapping, get vaccinated. Uh, If you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. Um, I saw a critique 
online of somebody saying, you know, about me talking about vaccinations. Uh, now, y'all know should put stuff online, and I'm not going to talk about it. Um, 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 somebody said, you know, why are you talking about, you know, the vaccinations? Because it works. You don't have to die from COVID. Uh, Peyton says, say it again. You don't have to die from COVID. COVID does not stop you. I mean, the vaccination does not stop you from getting COVID. But if you get it, it mitigates or lessens the impact on your body. And I don't want to do any more funerals of disciples of St. Paul that have died from COVID. So please, ma'am, please, sir, get vaccinated. Get, this is the only way we're going to really be able to turn this thing around. Get vaccinated, continue to practice our mitigation protocols of wearing masks, social distancing, washing your hands, things of that sort. But please get vaccinated. Um, one more thing I want to share with you all is that we have a March Gladness Revival that's going to be coming up next month. And I got some of God's uh, most gifted preachers that will be sharing with us. March Gladness Revival will be the March the 22nd through the 24th here at the church. Our guest preachers are Bishop Rudolph McKissick Jr., Dr. Cynthia Hale, and Dr. F. Bruce Williams. Uh, and so uh, you'll be seeing video from them in the near future as far as their sharing is concerned. But I wanted to start putting that out there right now. And fi finally... I want to let you all know that we are having the winter session of sermon conversations that's beginning this February. Um, and we got some great leaders and groups that will be engaging in these small groups conversation. I'm starting today a series on the scriptures and the 1619 project. Anybody ever heard of the 1619 project? All right, good. I got a whole lot of teaching I got to do. The 1619 Project is a compendium of essays uh, that has been compiled by Nicole Hannah-Jones that really talks about from 1619 to the current time how slavery has greatly impacted this country. And so uh, what I'm going to do uh, over the next several weeks is look at essays that were written, put those together with scripture, and try to give you all a word in light of what the Bible has to say. So I'm starting that off today um, as far as this series is concerned, and our sermon conversations will be centered around my sermons that I preach. So uh, we got six groups in addition led by Reverend C for our teens from 15 to 18. And we, uh, what's that? And Taylor, Taylor's joining you. Amen, amen. So Taylor is going to join him. And uh, we're going to have those sermon conversations starting this week. So please, ma'am, please, sir, um, sign up. I would love to have at least 500 people part of sermon conversations, um, but we want to get as many as we can. And finally, hear me well, if you are feeling sick, if you don't feel well, um, we're trying to stay open as we are allowed through the city, county, and state. But if you don't feel well, don't come to church. Uh, stay home, go get tested uh, to make sure you don't have COVID uh, and don't take the chance of coming to church and spreading it to someone else. 
Uh, and y'all think I'm kidding, but I'm serious. If your pinky toe hurts, stay home. <laughs> yeah, if your pinky toe hurts, stay home. Uh, we want you good, we want you safe, and we want to keep our church doors open as we navigate through this particular variant as far as COVID is concerned. So that being said, um, today we want to get ready to go to the Lord in prayer, and we want to lift up the family of disciple Sister Elizabeth uh, Gadine, uh, the wife of Brother Perry Gardine. Uh, his service, those services will be Friday, February the 11th here at the church. Um, quiet hour 11, services at noon. Uh, the family of disciple Faye Dean Frazier, the mother of deacon in training Ronald Dean, and the stepmother of uh, Marilyn Frazier Blakeney. And those services are pending, and we want to keep them lifted up in prayer. And the family of Brittany Webb, the cousin of uh, deacon Ted Pearson and deacon Arvette Pearson. Um, we want to keep them lifted up in prayer as well. We want to lift up the family of Brother Howard Lee Williams, the brother of disciple Naomi Worthy and Sister Lily Mae Horton. Um, those services were held yesterday at the McEwen Funeral Service in Pineville. We want to continue to lift up the family of Sister Regina Woods, the sister of disciple Reginald Woods, the family of Deborah Dawkins, sister of disciple Gwendolyn Caldwell, the family of Sister Lamika Calloway, granddaughter of disciple Brenda Calloway, and the family of Robert L. Massey, uh, the brother-in-law of uh, disciple James Kearns and Deborah Kearns. We want to keep them lifted up in prayer as well as brother William Little, who had uh, a procedure last week, uh, Pastor Emeritus, Dr. Paul Drummond, and his wife, Lady Thomasina. And there'll be other names that'll be scrolling up and down the screen. I'm going to ask that... Um, Minister Jeffrey Stevenson will take us to the throne of grace. Let us look towards heaven. Dear Heavenly Father God, we come before you right now. First of all, God, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for just being a loving God and loving us taking care of us, God, as we just try to navigate this world. We just say thank you. God, for we come right now into this moment where there are some in the building, some virtually, who are dealing with losses. We come now laying it all on the altar, God. times that we don't know where else to turn but when we bring it to you you wrap your loving arms around us God and remind us that no matter what's going on that you're still the God of our life for there are some who are dealing with loss this morning God God, we know that you said that blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. God, we ask that you would comfort them right now. Yes. Let them know that you are still there. That even in the midnight hour, that when they get up to, to find the thing that they are looking for that is there no 
boy that you're still the God who's able. Hold them close, God, as they cry out. There are those who are dealing with sickness, God, but we know that by your strike, we declare healing this morning. We come to this altar space declaring, believing, trusting, and knowing that you're still eight and that you still hear our cries. Go in the hospital rooms, touch this morning, God, in only a way that you can, that no matter what the doctor says, that, that you're the ultimate doctor and that if we just go in the prayer room, God, and just have a conversation with you, that you're still able, God. God, as we look around this country, God, and we see hate on the hearts, God, that, that kids can't even go to school without bomb threats. God, we, we still know that you're able. Keep them safe. Keep them safe, God, as they just try to get this education. Keep them safe. God, as we close this prayer, we just continue to worship you. Continue to give you the honor and the praise that you so richly and rightfully deserve. Be with your people. It's in your son's name that we do pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. If you believe that the Lord is answering this prayer, can you give God praise at this time? Amen. We could do better than that. If you believe that the Lord is answering this prayer, can you give God praise at this time? Amen. Thank you, Minister Jeffrey Stevenson, for that soul-inspiring prayer. My brothers and sisters, it is offering time. It is offering time. It is offering time. And what a wonderful opportunity it is for us to give unto the Lord to demonstrate our faith and trust and love in God. And so as we prepare to give, there are several ways you can give here at the St. Paul Church. First, you can mail your check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or you can drop off cash, check, or money order here at the church. Call the church office at 704-334-5309 to make sure someone is here to receive your offering. And we will place it in the safe and make sure it's part of the following week's count. The other way you can give us through our church website through ACS or Church Life. And then finally, you can give through the app called Givelify. And if you don't have that app on your smart device, download it from your app store, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, you can give. For those that have a physical offering in the church, uh, there is a basket that is on the seat in front of you. And at the appropriate time, you can just drop your offering in that basket and our account team and ushers will retrieve your offering. So however you're giving this morning, whether you're giving a physical offering or digitally, whether you're online or in the house, would you, if you're able, lift up your offering with your right hand? We want to give God what's right, not what's left. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you on this morning to thank you for the wonderful opportunity to partner with you in doing the work of kingdom building. And as we come and we give our offerings, oh God, our tithes, uh, the gifts that you have allowed for us to give unto you, we don't do it in a grudging manner, 
but we do it cheerfully. Why? Because you love the cheerful giver. God, if you would, take these gifts of ours, multiply them in a Godful way so that we can continue to do the work of ministry and mission through the tribe known as the St. Paul Church. It's in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray, and in his name we claim it done. Amen. For those who have fiscal offering, if you would, there's a basket in front of you on, on your, uh, the seat in front of you. Just place it in that basket, and you can give at this time.
still here is because we serve a God who is victorious. We serve a God who can do the impossible. Come on, let's give God praise for our music ministry. great and greatly to be praised and I think that in times like this we need to be reminded that regardless of how crazy it seems we we can't lose we, we can't lose we can't lose I want you to for those of you who have your Bibles call your attention to Exodus chapter 13 
Uh, I want to look at verse 17 through 19. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through verse 19. And it reads like this. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said, lest people, perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under the solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Let me, if I could... Read it from another translation just so you could really get the gist. The message says it like this. So it happened that after Pharaoh released the people, God did not lead them by the road through the land of the Philistine, which was the shortest route. For God thought if the people encounter war, they'll change their minds and go back to Egypt. So God led the people on the wilderness road, looping around to the Red Sea. The Israelites left Egypt in military formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the Israelites solemnly swear to do it, saying, God will surely hold you accountable, so make sure you bring my bones from here with you. I want to preach for the time that is mine as we begin this series of sermons on the scriptures and the 1619 Project. I want to talk about we aren't there yet. We aren't there yet. Unless you have been living under a rock, you have heard the term critical race theory. This term has become the new idea to galvanize white supremacists and those who think like them to believe having a conversation about racism, being entrenched and embedded in the social fabric and the legal systems of the United States of America is considered to be a bad thing. But contrary to popular and even erroneous beliefs, critical race theory has not ever been taught, nor is it being taught in grades kindergarten through the 12th grade. Critical race theory is a legal matrix to analyze how racism impacts various policies and legal constructs, thereby preventing blacks from getting a fair shake in society. Critical race theory was developed by legal scholars like Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, and others in the late 70s and early 80s as a legal analytical tool to demonstrate how race impacts financial institutions, housing policies, legal structures, mass incarceration, and educational opportunities for people of African-American descent. 
Unfortunately, in 2021 and even to the present, the phrase critical race theory has become the new Willie Horton of the 21st century to scare and mislead white people into believing that this is being taught in public schools. But it is not. However, and unfortunately, even now, the discussion of black history, there are some whites who would say that's critical race theory. But it is not. This has not been true. It never has been true. It is not true even at this point. Critical race theory, again, is a special legal dissection taking place in various law schools around the country. But you have a whole host of people, particularly in the Republican Party, trying to ban something that ain't even happening. What has created a major rise in the dandruff of white supremacists is the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project is a compendium of essays created by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Nicole Hannah-Jones used to teach at School of Journalism at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill until they were too dumb to give her tenure. And she left them and said, I'm giving you the deuces and I'm going to Howard where I'll be appreciated. This project is a compilation, the 1619 Project. It's a compilation of various scholars and poets and prose writers and essays as they write about the United States establishment that really took place not in 1776, but in 1619. And the writing is really an integration of how enslaved persons of African descent is in the very fabric, the very tapestry of American history, but it has not been fully told and it's not fully appreciated. Nicole Hannah-Jones even got a Pulitzer Prize for journalism for her commentary in the opening essay in that book. Yet this has sparked major controversy to the point where now, guess what? Books are being banned across this country members of the Republican Party in Congress and other state legislatures are putting up laws to cut funding to school districts that would even want to have that book read as an assignment. You're talking about cancel culture in full effect. And they would even dare say that black history is considered to be critical race theory. I'm so glad they can't make us do that here at the St. Paul Church because I'm going to talk about it in full effect. Because as we celebrate Black History or African American History Month, I, I want to, for the preaching moments, take the Bible in correlation to the 1619 Project and wrestle with the theological and sociological implications of where we have been, where we are, and where we are heading as a people, as a country, and even a world. Only when we acknowledge and analyze the construct of race as a new world phenomenon, you do know that race was not in the Bible. Racism was not in the Bible. That when there was 
any type of discrimination in the Bible. It wasn't based upon race, but ethnicity. And that's a whole nother argument. So racism, as we know it in today's culture, is really a new world phenomena that came into existence to justify the enslavement of people from Africa. Only when we understand what real racism is all about and the construct of race and deal with the European colonization of continents and nations which are predominantly people of color, then and only then can we transcend and get beyond the issues and complications of race and slavery, particularly in this Western Hemisphere. So let's be honest. Since 1619, when the first acknowledged enslaved persons of African descent were brought to the shores in Virginia, we have made some progress. In his section on the 1619 Project, Ibram X. Kendi writes so poignantly about the progress that African Americans have made in his section entitled Progress. He starts off with a quote from President Barack Obama as Obama waxed eloquently about America's exceptionalism in a speech he gave prior to leaving the office of president. He talks about how only his story could be told and done in a country like the United States of America. But as he was leaving office, Trump was coming into office and dark days were looming as far as racial progress is concerned. See, what folks don't want to admit is that Obama's election to the presidency led a whole lot of us to believe that the United States had entered a post-racial era. In fact, even Obama had embraced the mythology of this country to believe that we were in a better place racially. However... Obama's election and his two-term presidency revealed the fault lines when it comes to racial tension in this country. Because whether you want to admit it or not, it was a whole lot of folks who had issues with a black man being president of the United States of America. And, and, and so the election of Donald J. Trump was the visceral response to a black president as Trump became the living, walking metaphor of racism, sexism, misogyny, immorality, and ineptitude. Kendi reminds us how the defeat of Trump by Joe Biden almost led to the fall of the United States democracy. Trump's loss became the fuel for voter suppression. As Republican-controlled legislatures throughout this country introduced over 500 laws to make it more difficult for people to vote, especially those of Ebony Hue. We are here today because too many believe that racial progress is inevitable and continuous, but it's not. Too many think that we have made tremendous strides and that we have. And Kendi writes 
And I quote, in 1954, with the Brown versus Board of Education, the United States Supreme Court ruled that segregated public schools were unconstitutional. Racial progress. The Montgomery bus boycott began a movement for desegregation across the South in 1955. Racial progress. President Dwight Eisenhower sent federal troops to escort the Little Rock Nine to Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957, racial progress. The lunch counter sit-ins by black college students in the 1960s, and of course we know about North Carolina, uh, A&T, led to the desegregation of southern businesses, racial progress. Freedom Riders helped to desegregate bus terminals in 1961, racial progress. The March on Washington and Martin Luther King's dream made worldwide news in 1963, racial progress. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed, racial progress. And with each decade, we made more substantive gains. But let's be honest. Time reveals we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. Now, can I be honest? Because many of us, and I want you to know, I took a sip of it too. Um, I drank the Kool-Aid of post-racism. That when President Obama was elected, I said, wow, finally, here in the United States, we have arrived. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we got too many people who don't want the truth and don't want to study history. They want mythology and gaslighting. We might be free. We might have made some progress. At times, we may have taken two steps forward, but we've taken one and a half steps backwards. We are not where God would have for us to be. In other words, I'm trying to let y'all know we are not there yet. I want to lift for your consideration this text about making progress but not reaching the destination. Because in the book of Exodus, God liberates Israel from the oppressive hands of Pharaoh and bondage in Egypt. God moved Israel with purpose, passion, and power uh, on their quest to the promised land. And the end of Egyptian rule in the lives of the children of Israel had come to an end. Like our enslaved African ancestors, they had been set free by the mighty and miraculous hands of God. However, unlike Israel, our enslaved ancestors stayed within the confines of the United States of America, caught betwixt and between here and now and the not yet. Egypt would never be a mainstay in the historical narrative of Israel after God brings them out. And they're delighted to be free, but they got a long way to go to get to Canaan. They shouting hallelujah happy, but they have not reached the land of promise and provision. And yet, St. Paul, God does something that messes me up. God does not take Israel on the short route. Instead, God takes them the long way to get them to the promised land. 
and like a child sitting in the back of your vehicle on a long trip asking, are we there yet? I'm here to let you know, nope, we have not arrived. Like Israel, we are not there when it comes to full racial progress. We've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. So I want to wrestle with this question just for a moment. What shall we do since we have not arrived? I know it's 2022, but we still got a ways to go to get to the place where God would have for us to be. And the text is tailored to teach us there are a few things that we should do as we make our way to the place where God would have for us to be. And the first one is we must continue to develop a freedom mentality. That's, that's in verse 17, a freedom mentality. We see that the children of Israel have been set free. They're heading to the promised land. But God decides to take them the long route. Why? Because God did not want them to change their minds if they had to get into a fight and decide to go back to Egypt. The shortest route, the most direct route, was through Philistine territory. But God opted out doing that. Because at this point in Israel's history, the Philistines are not their enemy. No need to pick a fight. Secondly, Israel had just gotten free. They don't know anything about fighting. They don't have any weapons. They're not an army. They've never been to war. They haven't been freed in over 430 years. So before they start fighting, they got to know how to act free. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's why I'm talking about a freedom mentality. For 430 years, they've been marching to the beat of somebody else's drum, the quack, crack of the whip of Pharaoh's taskmasters. They've been working from sunup to sundown. No paycheck, no vacation time, no sick leave. They have been the target of abuse. They have been dealing with persistent oppression. And in this text, they left Egypt, but Egypt had not left them. They, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. Israel had to overcome the belief that Egypt's ice was colder. Uh, they had to overcome the belief that Egypt's water was wetter. They had to overcome the belief that the Egyptian lifestyle was better. Just because they had vacated the premises does not mean they were where God wanted them to be. This is the same problem with some of us in today's culture. We think that because we could go to school with whites, eat at the same restaurant with our white brothers and sisters, ride in the front of the bus without having to give up our seat and doing more than cleaning up spaces and places and even casting a vote, we think we have arrived. Yes, there has been progress. But can we be honest? In these times, in 2022, you got some folks that want to take us back to 1950 and 1920. And if they could have their way, they would rather take us back to 1859. White supremacy is real, y'all. 
The failing of our democracy has great potential. Voter suppression is real. Remember, a few weeks ago, Mitch McConnell made this crazy statement. Black Americans are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. Last time I checked, I was an American. Last time I checked, anybody black that was born on these shores, they are American too. So Mitch McConnell, what are you talking about? I guess we ain't part of the whole. And I want you to know, that was not a slip of the tongue, but a revelation of his heart. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 we, we made some progress, but we ain't totally free. And it seemed like just when we think we're about to turn the corner, something else pops up. Just, just when we think we have arrived, it seemed like we got to fight a new fight. And here's what a freedom mentality means, beloved. A freedom mentality means that you can't be afraid to fight when you need to fight. Let me, let me say it again. You, you, you can't be afraid to fight when, when you need to fight. And what is it that we need to fight for in 2022? We need to fight. And this just ain't for black folks. This for all folks. We got to fight for adequate health care. We got to fight for quality education. We got to fight for safer communities. We got to fight for prison reform. We got to fight for livable wages. We got to fight for the right to vote. We got to fight for our lives. I don't know about you all, but I ain't trying to go back. I'm not trying to go back to the days of separate but equal. I'm not trying to go back and hang out with Jim and his crazy wife, Jane Crow. I'm not trying to go back to slavery. We can't go back to not voting. We can't go back to Egypt. So guess what we need to do? We got to develop a mentality of freedom and do like our ancestors did when they said, I'd rather die than be a slave and be buried in my grave and go home someday and be free. I am free because the Bible says, whom the Son sets free. I feel like preaching is free indeed. What son am I talking about? I'm talking about the one that is the Jesus Christ, who is the great liberator, the great emancipator, the resurrection and the life, the beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. I'm talking about the Jesus who came down, not only to free me from my personal sins, but to free us from the sins of the institutions and structures that try to keep us down and hold us back. I am not going back. Because I serve a God of freedom that's trying to do something in my life. Let me, let me press on. Because not only must we develop a freedom mentality, but we got to trust God to lead us. And that's in verse 18. It is God, not Moses, who leads Israel through the wilderness of the Red Sea. <laughs> and, and they were doing it in an orderly, military-like fashion. Now, on the surface, that doesn't make much sense for Israel to behave like this, marching in military fashion. Who are they going to fight? Doesn't make sense because they don't know how to fight. Doesn't make sense unless God Know something that neither Moses nor Israel knew. 
And I believe that God, Minister Jeffrey, led them toward the Red Sea because God knew Pharaoh had one more germ of arrogance, one more kernel of hubris in him to come and try to recapture Israel and re-enslave them. So I believe, this is just me and my theological conjecturing, I believe God led Israel to a place that looked like a trap for them, but really it was God's way of putting Egypt in Israel's rearview memory. All right, now, 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 now I, I'm, I'm very concerned that I did not have more claps and shouts than that. Because guess what? If you are over 40 and you're in the church right now, you ought to at least know something about how God delivered the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And, and, and if you don't, let me, if I could, give you a quick synopsis because it's at the Red Sea where Israel is trapped. Israel is trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army coming behind them. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea so Israel can walk across dry land. And then when Pharaoh's army chases them, he drowns them in the Red Sea. Now, 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 can I tell y'all why they were marching in military fashion? Because if Israel had been moving in a disorderly fashion, like a mob out of control when Pharaoh's army showed up Israel would have gotten slaughtered because Moses would have had been gathering people from the north, south, east and west but because they were moving in an orderly fashion that when the waters parted Moses said y'all go and I'm going to stay right here and hold up my staff until the Lord does what he wants to do and because they were in order and because they were being led by God all they had to do was move when the Lord said move who am I talking to right now that know that whenever you're following God and you do what the Lord tells you to do will look crazy to everybody else makes sense to God and to you there are some times I don't understand why God have us to do what God wants us to do but I understand it better by and by do I have anybody in the house right now they ain't afraid to admit and give God praise that God told you to do some stuff that look crazy to everybody else it look crazy to your spouse it look crazy to your kids it look crazy to your friends it look crazy to church folks but you knew what the Lord told you to do and when you did what the Lord told you to do the Lord showed up and when the Lord showed up the Lord showed out am I talking to anybody they ain't afraid to testify I'm being led by the Lord let me let me let me uh let me See, see, this, 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 this is what some of us don't understand. Our enslaved ancestors, our civil rights forebearers were led by God. Contrary, contrary to popular belief that some white folks thought that our ancestors were heathens, that they didn't know who God was. They didn't know who Jesus was. When some Europeans need to understand that if it wasn't for black folks or Africans, they wouldn't know what Christianity is. Uh-huh. I'm walking heavy today. I'm walking heavy today. I, 
our ancestors knew more about the real God of Israel than the white folks who came and enslaved them. Because if the white folks that came and enslaved them knew who God was, they would have never enslaved them in the first place. I ain't scared. Y'all know me by now. Our enslaved ancestors and our civil rights forebearers were led by God. They had to be led by God as they escaped on the Underground Railroad with conductors like Harriet Tubman. God, you know, let me tell you how bad God is. This is how bad God is. God is so incredible that God planted the North Star in the constellation of Ursa Minor to be the guiding post for our enslaved ancestors, blinking like hazards lights, saying, follow me to the North. And then God led our civil rights forebearers to do boycotts and sit-in and marches as they sang freedom songs to the tune of gospel music. You got to have the Holy Ghost in order to be able to fight in a non-violent manner. And I still believe that God is still moving, that God is still leading, that God is still speaking because the struggle still continues. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and other black and brown people whose lives have been snatched because of white supremacy and police brutality God is still moving and I'm so glad I serve a God that knows what he's doing how to do it and when to do it anybody ain't afraid to testify the God we serve knows how to lead us away from trouble even when it looks like we're going to get into trouble God knows how to lead us to the right people at the right time to the right place for the right thing to do the right reason so that when we emerge we can give God the right praise and the right worship am I talking to anybody in here they ain't afraid to attest had it not been for the Lord leading me, guiding me helping me holding my hand, guiding my steps I would have gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs a long time ago I would not be where I am had it not been for the Lord on my side, so guess what I'm going to take about a 7 second praise break and give God praise and glory and honor cause I would not be where I am had it not been for the Lord on my side won't he still deliver you won't he still heal you won't he still guide your hand won't he lift up a bow down head won't he put a smile on your face won't he put joy bells in your soul won't he put common sense in your mind won't he handle your enemies won't he make your enemies your footstool is he still able to make a way out of nowhere I'm going to be led by the Lord let me ah 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 I'm going to be led I'm going to be led I'm going to be led by the Lord that 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 do I have anybody else on my street? I'm going to be led. But I got to give you one more thing. Uh, you got to have a freedom mentality, a freedom mindset. Uh, you got to let the Lord lead you. But finally, you got to remember your ancestors. Uh, uh, you got to remember your, your ancestors. That's, that's verse 19. 
Because as they are hightailing it out of Egypt, Moses takes the bones, the embalmed body of Joseph with them. Don't forget your ancestors. Now, 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 now notice I said remember the ancestors, but don't worship them. Remember the ancestors, but don't you be praying to them. I'm trying to help some of y'all theology. Because some of us got some crazy theology. Because I'm here to tell you right now, grandma ain't going to help you out of a bad situation. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. Uh, Grandpa ain't going to help you out of a fix. You better call upon the name of the Lord who is able to do the impossible, the miraculous, and the marvelous. The last time I read my Bible, I did not read that I needed to call upon my Papa Gus. I did not read that I needed to call upon my Grandma Katie Mae. I don't pray to my ancestors. I thank God for my ancestors. But I pray to the God who created the entire universe. I pray to the God that flung the stars against the black canvas of the universe. I created the God that arrayed the sun in its nocturnal, in the, the, the sun in its yellow paraphernalia and the moon in her silvery nocturnal paraphernalia and she takes the uh, station as queen of the night. I pray to the God that is able to scoop up uh, mountains and hew out valleys. I pray to the God that is still able to make a way out of no way. Don't be praying to your ancestors. You remember them, but they ain't the one that's going to get you out of trouble. Preach Robert Charles Scott. It's interesting. It's interesting that they bring the body of Joseph with them. Now, now, now the reason that I shout is because I, I like history. And, and, and the reason that you need to understand why they take Joseph with him is because you got to know your Bible history. Because Joseph is the reason they were in Egypt in the first place. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. And his brothers were jealous because God had given him a dream. And then when he was sold into slavery, he went to Potiphar's house. I believe that was y'all Sunday school lesson. Went to Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tried to make a move on him with her cougar self. And uh, yeah, and, and Joseph refused her. And so she created trumped up charges and wound up having Joseph placed in jail. While he was in jail, he uh, interpreted dreams for a baker and a butler. And eventually, uh, he got a hearing before Pharaoh. And he was able to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, man, 